0: Hello there, faithful listener. You've tuned in to season seven of the Bible Explained podcast. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee because today we are going to be discussing the book of Acts. Good morning, friends and faithful listeners, and welcome to the Bible Explained podcast. And hi, my name is Jen. I am the host here. And on this podcast, I encourage you guys to grab a delicious cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Notice I didn't say that tea is delicious. Only coffee is delicious. Anyway, I I encourage you guys to grab a nice warm beverage every morning as you listen to this podcast, because we're going to be talking about the Bible. That is what we do here on the podcast. We discuss and talk about the Bible. And so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I discuss the New Testament. And so that's what we're doing today. We are in Acts chapter 15, verses 30 through 41. And we're going to talk about this fight that Paul and Barnabas have. So grab your warm beverage and also your Bible out of the version you prefer. But this morning I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. as usual. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And having gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over the encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers with many words and strengthened them. After they had spent some time there, they were dismissed in peace from the brothers to the apostles. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return now and visit our brothers in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they are doing. Barnabas planned to take John, who was also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think that was a good idea, to take with them someone who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and didn't go with them to do the work. Then the contention grew so sharp that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and went out, being commanded by the brothers to the grace of God. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the assemblies. I do find it interesting, the author of the book of Acts, who is Luke, who personally knew Paul and Barnabas and probably most of the apostles, I think it's kind of funny. You can see how Luke is sort of staying out of this fight. (laughs) He's kind of just like stating what happened, but not really taking a side of either Paul or Barnabas. We'll get into that in a second, though. But it says in verse 30 that they went to Antioch. And what that is referring to is what we left off with on Tuesday, where Judas and Silas wrote this long letter to the church in Antioch, because what had happened... Uh, previously in this chapter was there are Jews coming to Antioch stating that because the Antioch church was mainly Gentile and because the Gentiles weren't following the Old Testament law, they weren't actually saved. So in order for the Gentiles to become saved, according to these Jews, they would have to get circumcised and start following the Old Testament law. So Paul and Barnabas together were like, no, that is not the truth because we are saved through grace, because of Jesus. So, nobody has to follow the Old Testament law in order to be saved. So, of course, the church in Antioch is very distressed about this because they're like, oh my gosh, we thought we were saved this whole time, but it sounds like maybe we are not saved. So, the church sends Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to discuss this issue further with all of the disciples. So Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem and they see Peter and they see James and all the other disciples in Jerusalem and they start talking about this issue. And there are a lot of people actually in Jerusalem who side with the Jews. And they're like, yeah, you know, the Gentiles do need to get circumcised and start following the Old Testament law in order for them to be saved. They're not saved unless they do these things. But then Peter stands up and James stands up and Paul and Barnabas stand up and say, no, we are saved through grace, and the Gentiles are already saved because we saw the Holy Spirit working with them. And the Gentiles do not need to do circumcision or follow the Old Testament laws or convert to Judaism or anything like that in order to be saved. They just have to believe in Jesus's sacrifice, believe in Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So they send this letter to the church in Antioch. And there's a few things in this letter. The first being that... Gentiles do not have to convert to Judaism in order to be saved. However, what the Gentiles should do is refrain from sexual immorality, refrain from drinking blood, and also refrain from anything corrupted by idol worship, whether it's food, clothing, feasts, festivals, anything along those lines. So now we're up to date with what we talked about today. And so it says Judas and Silas in verse 20 were sent off and they came to Antioch. And so they gathered the multitude of the church together and delivered this letter that they had written. And so when they had read it in verse 31, the church rejoiced over the encouragement. So the church actually thought this letter was extremely encouraging, probably because now the Gentiles are sure of their salvation. And that's extremely encouraging. You know, they probably had some doubts that they were saved over the past few weeks waiting for Paul and Barnabas to come back with word from the, the church in Jerusalem. And I don't know if you guys have ever doubted your salvation or had somebody make you doubt your salvation, but it's really not fun. So the Antioch church was experiencing that kind of doubt and hurt in their spiritual life. So when they get this letter back, you know, it's very encouraging to them because they're like, oh, good, you know, We are saved by grace. We haven't been doing anything wrong. And then also the letter, I think, was encouraging, even with the three rules that were were put into it originally with the don't drink blood, don't have sexual immorality, and also don't do anything that has been polluted with idols. I'm sure even that was encouraging because they now have some basic rules from the Old Testament law that they can, in fact, follow and these rules will help them have a better relationship with the Jewish people in their area. And maybe it also encouraged the Jews because maybe the Jews were uncomfortable going to a church where the Gentiles would like have no issue drinking blood or something along those lines when the Jewish people were taught their entire lifetime that that is like a very grave sin. Because like I said last time, regarding the rule of drinking blood, that was actually one of the first laws God ever gave humanity way, like hundreds of years before the law was even written, God actually told Noah, do not drink blood. So I'm sure the Jews took that very seriously and maybe were concerned attending a church with some Gentile people who would drink like blood soup or something like that. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just speculating here mainly on that one. But in general, it was a very encouraging Letter both for the Jews and for the Gentiles, I'm sure. And so, some time passes, and it says that Judas and Silas, the two guys who delivered this letter, they were actually prophets. And so, what they did was they encouraged the church in Antioch with many words, with many prophecies, and many words. And these words strengthened the church further. A lot of people think that prophecy is an outdated spiritual gift. In other words, God doesn't give the gift of prophecy anymore. I do not believe that because it's one of the spiritual gifts. It never says anywhere in scripture that it's been outdated or something along those lines. But one of the reasons why people think that prophecy has been outdated is because of the amount of false prophets that exist in America. Like, honestly, there's there's false prophets everywhere. You can literally type into YouTube prophecy or something like that. And you will probably get like 19 out of 20 false prophets, like maybe more than that, stating some sort of terrible fake, quote unquote, prophecy for money or something or for views or whatever. So I think humans have kind of tainted prophecy a little bit, but I don't think that it's a gift that God doesn't give anymore because it is one of the spiritual gifts. And we know here that Silas and Judas, these two guys both had the gift of prophecy and were able to use it to strengthen the church. And actually, one of the reasons prophecy does exist is to strengthen the church because prophecy doesn't necessarily mean like predicting the future, though it could be that. Prophecy is just a word from God. And a word from God could be anything. It could be words of encouragement. It could be words of condemnation. It could be really anything that God tells you to say. But in this case, for Silas and Judas, all of their prophecies were very encouraging prophecies. And I think it's really cool that God was telling Judas and Silas to personally encourage the church of Antioch. So they spent some time there and they were dismissed in peace from the brothers back to the apostles. So it says, but Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. Also, some time passes and Paul and Barnabas decide to go back on another missionary journey to all of the churches they had preached at before on their first missionary journey. And so they're getting ready to go. Barnabas comes up to Paul and he's like, all right, let's take John Mark with us. (laughs) And Paul's like, yeah, we're not taking John Mark with us because what had happened on the last missionary journey They did take John Mark with them, and John Mark deserted them for whatever reason. We don't actually know the reason why John Mark deserted Paul and Barnabas. It could be that John Mark had a problem with Paul. It could be that John Mark was afraid to spread the gospel. It could be any reason at all. So Paul is getting angry at Barnabas because Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them again on another missionary journey. And we know from Barnabas's personality that Barnabas was very open and very accepting of people. And sometimes that is not good. Sometimes it's very good because, for example, Barnabas brought Paul in, right, when everybody else was rejecting Paul at the very beginning, because Paul had persecuted the early church, Barnabas was actually the one who was like, Paul, come on in. You know, I know you killed people like a few weeks ago, but I accept you. (laughs) And so Barnabas was actually the one that like took Paul under his wing. And in that way, you know, Barnabas was extremely accepting and encouraging of other people. And we know Barnabas just had that personality. However, because Barnabas had this personality of being very accepting, he actually did something wrong. Let's talk about that in Galatians chapter two. And this is out of the NLT version. So it says here that Peter, at some point in time, came up to visit the church in Antioch. It says in verse 11 of Galatians chapter two, when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, He ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And I don't know when this took place, but it kind of sounds like this would have taken place right around this time in Acts chapter 15, what we're reading today, because this was a hot topic, you know, during this time, the whole thing about circumcision and whether or not Gentiles should be circumcised in order to be saved. And so when Peter first visited Antioch, Paul was like, look, like Peter was eating with the Gentiles and having a great time with them and not worried about anything. But suddenly during Peter's next visit to Antioch, he brought some friends with him, some of James's friends. Friends, and all of a sudden Peter can't eat with the Gentiles anymore because Peter is scared about how his reputation is going to look in the eyes of his friends. And so it sounds like this went on for uh, some amount of time because Barnabas, with the accepting and encouraging personality that he had, actually was led astray by it, and actually started accepting Peter and Peter's friends and and believing some of the ideologies, potentially, that these Jewish men had about how Gentiles need to be uh, circumcised in order to be saved. And so Paul was getting really angry. So I imagine, I think, it sounds like it would have happened around this time period. So it could be that not only was Paul personally offended by Barnabas because Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on the next missionary journey, but it could be that also Barnabas started believing the ideology of Gentiles need to be circumcised in order to be saved right around this time. And that also made Paul very angry at Barnabas and Barnabas is like accepting of, you know, everything. Basically, he's accepting John Mark after what John Mark did. And now he's accepting this bad ideology from these men that came up from Jerusalem, basically. So you can see, I, I mean, I can see at least how Paul, can is getting kind of angry at Barnabas here. Now, granted, maybe Barnabas was not in the wrong to give John Mark a second chance because we, we do know that John Mark ended up becoming a huge pinnacle of the early church, right? Because he wrote the book of Mark, which traditionally is the first book, the first gospel ever written about Jesus. And secondly, John Mark also like apprenticed with Peter and, uh, Even later on, Paul admits that John Mark did very good work for God. So maybe Barnabas was not wrong in giving John Mark a second chance, but you you can kind of see how this fight happened. And it says in verse 39 that the fight grew so sharp that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus and Paul took Silas with him and went to Syria and Cilicia. So once again, Luke, the author of this book, does not take a side here. But we do know that unity in the church is extremely necessary. Because if we are disunified in the church, the world is going to look at that. The world's going to be like, look at that church over there. They can't even, you know, get along with each other. So why would I want to go to that church? So unity in the church is extremely, extremely important. And I think that is one of the, the biggest problems actually in America right now is our churches are so not unified. We have so many different denominations. There's so much infighting in churches. There's bad people as ministry leaders who shouldn't be there. The, the church is just very disunified. And so what the church, I think, really needs to do in general, across America is first and foremost, get rid of all bad or ungodly ideology out of the church. And if that includes ministry leaders or pastors or something along those lines, then good. I'm very happy to get rid of anybody that doesn't follow the gospel message and also teaches something very different. Because if we don't get rid of those people, they're going to cause problems down the line anyway, because they're going to hurt people. They're going to teach something that's wrong and potentially hurt people that way. It's just good to get rid of any kind of bad ideology completely out of the church. And so the the Church of Antioch did that you know paul and barnabas were good at that because as we saw earlier in this chapter you know those men those jewish men that were coming up to antioch being like hey you gotta get circumcised to be saved paul and barnabas were like no you don't and so they did get rid of that bad ideology out of the church and that's the first step to having a unified church but the second step after you get rid of the bad ideology and the bad pastors and the bad ministry leaders or anybody else The churches also have to be good at conflict resolution because, you know, Paul and Barnabas and every other human being on the planet, we're all humans. We are not God. And so there's always going to be conflict of some sort. And that's just a fact of life. And conflict doesn't necessarily have to be sinful, right? However, if you allow that conflict to fester for too long, it's once again, it's going to cause a lot of problems. There's going to be a lot of disunity in the churches. And Paul and Barnabas, after a while, they did, in fact, come back together. They were friends again. And like I said earlier, Paul did accept Mark into the fold and uh, everything was good after that. So there needs to be a lot more conflict resolution in the churches. And lastly, the churches need to be just more unified in general. I think it's a shame how many denominations are out there. Because there's denominations that exist for some of the silliest reasons, you know, like how the choir is supposed to dress or how you're supposed to drink the the grape juice or some other tradition, you know, that is not necessarily laid out in Scripture and is just a tradition. And I think the church in Antioch, for the most part, was pretty unified on that front because, like I said, it was a mixed church. There was both Jews and Gentiles going to that church. And that letter that Judas and Silas brought with them to encourage the church was actually very unifying as well, because it would unify the Gentiles and the Jews even more so, because the Gentiles would no longer be, you know, doing all these things that the Jewish people believed from infancy to be grave sins. And the Jews would also not try to push circumcision and push other judicial laws on the Gentiles of that church. So the church does need to be a lot more unified than it is here in America. I think we've really strayed from what church is supposed to be and the initial foundation of the early church. But how we change that, it it all starts with us. It starts with each one of us. We have to care about our churches. We have to get rid of bad ideology, and that's anybody. Anybody can do that. Any person can comb through the scriptures and make sure that what they're hearing is in line with the Gospels. So it is very important for us to stay very strong in our faith, to pray about our churches, and to care about our churches. Because when a church is unified, that is when the church really begins to grow. And the adversary doesn't like that. He wants our churches to be very disunified, and he's working very hard to make the churches very disunified. If you would like to read a good book about that, I recommend um, The Screwtape Letters from C.S. Lewis. It's a fantastic book. It was written like 100 years ago, and it is beyond, way beyond its time period. And I, I recommend reading that book if you're curious about how Satan infiltrates the church. But faithful listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it on your social media platforms and tell people that the Bible Explained podcast exists because word of mouth is the best possible way to get this podcast to grow. But faithful listeners, I hope you check out the YouTube channel because I've got another YouTube video going up pretty soon. And it's going to be another interview with a a man that I know who got into a very serious motorcycle accident. And he's going to talk about how he... How his faith grew through that and how his faith is continuing to grow even as he has some complications with that motorcycle accident he experienced. So that will be going up soon on the YouTube channel. So go over to YouTube and subscribe so that you don't miss that upcoming video. Faithful listeners, I will see you all in the next episode. Happy listening and God bless.